Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm your host, Father Thomas Loya, and I'm going to begin with a prayer from the liturgical text of the Byzantine Church. The ground is quaking in fear your anger. The hills and mountains are trembling, O Lord. But look upon us with compassion. Do not shower your wrath upon us, but show mercy to the work of your hands. Free us from the terrible menace of the earthquake, since you are gracious and the lover of mankind. Having created earth, you look upon it and it quakes. You are awesome, O Lord, and who can bear your just anger? Or who will implore you? Who will restrain you, O gracious one? In behalf of the sinful people who are without hope, the heavenly ranks, the angels and principalities, powers, thrones, dominations, and seraphim are crying out to you on our behalf. Holy, holy, holy are you, O Lord. Because of your merciful compassion, do not reject the work of your hands, O gracious one, but save the city which is in danger. What you just heard were the prayers and liturgical text of October 26th, which was recently passed. The reason I read them was because this text, these prayers, commemorate the great earthquake of Constantinople in the year 740 AD. And I mention that today not only because that was a past observance in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, but also because in deference and honor and memory of those victims of the earthquake that happened just recently in that same country of Turkey. At that time, of course, it was the empire of Byzantium, or the Byzantine Empire later became Constantinople, and now later today, of course, it is the city of Istanbul. The earthquake did not happen in Istanbul this time, fortunately, but it did happen in that same country, the same territory of Turkey. And so our prayers are with our brethren. They are Christian. They are Muslim. They are various persuasions in Turkey today. But nonetheless, it's rather providential that this earthquake happened around the time that we observe the earthquake that happened in Constantinople in 740 AD. In fact, what happened was in the time of the Emperor Leo the Isaurian in 740 AD, there was a terrifying and long-lasting earthquake in Constantinople. And the people realized that this was God's punishment for their sins and entreated the Most Holy Mother of God and St. Demetrius whose feast is also on October 26th in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, they entreated St. Demetrius with the Mother of God with great penance until God had mercy and the earthquake ended. So the 
presence of earthquakes, as unfortunate as they are, is very much the history of this country, this area of the world. In fact, I was reading in the news about the earthquake, and it was explaining how there are these fault lines that go through these areas of Turkey. Turkey is really a very, very earthquake-prone region, and even Constantinople. I always call it Constantinople. I guess it shows you how Byzantine I am, but it's modern-day Istanbul. That if one happened there, it could be very disastrous because it's a very highly populated city. It's a magnificent city, really highly populated. They drive like, well, they drive crazy there. I mean, traffic's amazing there. You think traffic is bad in New York or Chicago or something. Boy, you ought to go to Constantinople. Oh, sorry, Istanbul. (laughs) I was there. It's amazing. Talk about taxi drivers. Very skillful, (laughs) but hang on to your seats. But our sorrow, our prayers, our thoughts are with those who were victimized by this recent earthquake. And again, it's rather providential that it happened around the same time as the great earthquake that's commemorated on the Byzantine calendar, the earthquake of 740 AD. Now, especially our fellow Christians in the country of Turkey are not the only people who are suffering in the areas where many Eastern churches originated. In fact, our churches are suffering greatly, especially in the Middle East, during what is called now this so-called Arab Spring. In particular, we're looking at the church in Egypt. Recently, there were some riots that actually started out as a peaceful protest by Christians Coptic Christians to be specific, and some rabble-rousers came around and started pelting them and throwing things at them, agitating them. And largely these rabble-rousers were Muslim extremists or probably just people who were just secular. People just decided that they have to hate Christians, so they antagonized the Christians. Of course, the Christians resisted to some extent, or at least there was some certainly some bit of disturbance or anger. But the Christians, they didn't start out being violent. Well, one thing led to the next, and the police came in. And they were very heavy-handed. In fact, they even ran people over in their tanks. I actually saw it on the news, on the TV, it's on the internet as well. And people were killed. And in fact, it was the worst riots since the 18-day uprising that ousted Hosni Mubarak in February. And actually, 24 people were killed. The reason why there was this protest to begin with, a peaceful protest by Christians, was because they're being persecuted in Egypt, in many parts of the Middle East. We don't hear about that on the media, secular mainstream media, but you will hear about it here. Our program, of course, is called Light of the East, so we're going to shed some light on some of these things that you won't hear about. So it's good that you're listening to this program. It's a unique opportunity to get some truth, some light shed on some things that maybe otherwise you would not. Throughout the Middle East, the so-called Arid Spring, which may have started out, once again, with well-intended people, a well-intended spirit to throw off the dictators that seem to occupy most of the lands of the Middle East, The desire was to throw these dictators off and establish governments that were more fair to the people, more representative, whether it be straight out democracy or what, but that was the intention, that was the hope, the desire, the dream. But as often happens, the evil, the bad gets in there and starts to take over, starts to sort of infiltrate and commandeer the efforts. And right now, we don't really know who is taking over these governments as their leaders have been ousted, such as Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, now most recently with the killing of the Libyan leader, Muammar Gaddafi. And of course, there's unrest in Syria. There's unrest in all kinds of places in the Middle East of varying degrees. But what's happening in this is that there are elements taking over that are causing a persecution of Christians, a kind of a flaring up of what had been some latent persecutions or more mild degrees of persecution. There's always been certain tension there, obviously, in the Middle East between Christians and Muslims, but not, not everywhere, not on all levels. On the level of the rank and file, generally things are peaceful. This is what many people from there tell me, and I believe it. I've seen it myself. I've been there. But there's always an element of tension. There always has been. And it just takes a few extremists and rabble-rousers and opportunists to inflame these situations and escalate them into great violence. And right now, 
These age-old tensions are being inflamed at the cost of Christians, and in particular, the Eastern Christians, which is why this whole situation is of special interest to us here at Light of the East. We're here to bring you both lungs of the church primarily. Of course, the Eastern lung and the Eastern lung of the church always, as we say here, always on Light of the East, finds itself at the very epicenter of the most significant global events of our time. Now, you hear in the news all the time, you hear the unrest, you hear the war, the violence in the Middle East, but you very rarely hear that the center of it are Christians, in particular Catholics and Eastern Catholics and Orthodox Christians. But we're here to bring you that information, to shed light on what's happening. The Coptic Christians of Egypt are the ones that are undergoing a lot of persecution today, in particular. When we speak about Coptic Christians, we speak about Coptic Orthodox Christians and also Coptic Catholic Christians. The Coptic Church is actually one of those six churches called the Oriental Orthodox Churches. Now, these churches include the Armenian Apostolic Church, the Coptic Orthodox Church, as we mentioned, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, the Syrian Orthodox Church, the Melankara Orthodox Syrian Church, and the Eritrean Orthodox Church. Now, they're called the Oriental Orthodox Churches because of a certain aspect of their history. What happened was these six churches eventually rejected what was the Christological definitions of the Council of Chalcedon. That's in 451 AD. And this council asserted that Christ is one person in two natures, undivided and unconfused. In other words, he's God and man, but he's one person, Jesus Christ. But for these Oriental Orthodox churches, such as the Coptic Orthodox Church, for them to say that Christ has two natures was to overemphasize this two natures, this duality in Christ, and to compromise the unity of his person. At least this is how they understood it. Yet, these churches rejected the classical monophysite position of Eutyches who held that Christ's humanity was absorbed into his single divine nature. That's where we get the word monophysite, in other words, monophysite, in other words, one nature. These Oriental Orthodox churches instead prefer the formula of St. Cyril of Alexandria, who spoke of, quote, the one incarnate nature of the Word of God. The one incarnate nature of the Word of God. Now, during the period following this Council of Chalcedon in 451, a very significant council, those who rejected the council's teaching made up a significant portion of the Christians in the Byzantine Empire. And today, they are greatly reduced in number. Now, some of these churches have existed for centuries in areas where there is a non-Christian majority, and more recently, others have suffered from many decades of persecution by communist governments. We're going to be referring to a great book, a book that I always refer to in our program called The Eastern Christian Churches, a brief survey, the sixth edition by Father Ronald Roberson. So we're going to be drawing upon Father Ronald's great work in going through some of the complex history of the Coptic churches. All the Eastern churches have a complex history, but that's why we're here to hopefully make it a bit simple and at the very least to inform you of these histories. So please stay with us here on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And now, words of wisdom, faith, and mystery from the monk's cell. Sometimes we need to hear the simple consolation that comes with repentance. Seventh century father of the Byzantine Church, St. John of Carpathos, wrote this most consoling passage to those who felt that their repentance had been a waste of time. 
What is it, he says, that so distresses you? No stain is intrinsic. If a man has tar on his hands, he removes it with a little cleansing oil. How much more, then, can you be made clean with the oil of God's mercy? You find no difficulty in washing your clothes. How much easier is it for the Lord to cleanse you from every stain, although you are bound to be tempted every day? When you say to the Lord, I have sinned, he answers, your sins are forgiven you. I am he who wipes them out, and I will remember them no more. Matthew 9, 2 and Isaiah 43, 25. As it says in the Psalms, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you, and as a father shows compassion to his sons, so will I show compassion to you. Only do not rebel against him, who has called you to pray and recite psalms, but cleave to him throughout your life in pure and intimate communion, reverent yet unashamed in his presence and always full of thanksgiving. Discouragement. This is the devil's second favorite weapon. Where pride fails, he soon starts whispering poisoned words of discouragement. So, make the sign of the cross, call on the Lord's name, renew your repentance, and above all, with him, with his grace, through his spirit, rise above this temptation. I'm Father Maximus Hokelios. The Monks of Holy Resurrection Monastery at Fulgermo, California, can be found at hrmonline.org. Father Thomas Loya invites you to a special Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, November 13th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, where you'll hear the Ecclesia Choir sing the Byzantine Requiem sung with melodies from the Carpatho-Rusin tradition, and one newly composed Zvat Sanctus, but harmonized with both Eastern and Western sensibilities in mind. The entire work will be sung unaccompanied. The harmonization is by Ecclesia Director Timothy Woods. For ticket information, go to lincolnchamberproductions.org, lincolnchamberproductions.org for the Ecclesia Choir Concert of the Byzantine Catholic Funeral Rite at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, at 3 p.m. Sunday, November 13th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Yo, Father Loya wants you to come out and sock hop to the fabulous Neverly Brothers at the Joliet Moose Lodge. And they play everything from Chuck Berry to the Beatles. Hey, I'm talking to you. Well, I'll leave the day when you say I am. One, two, three, four. 
Not only can you dance, but you can have a sumptuous dinner buffet. Then challenge your memory at the trivia contest and take a chance on a 50-50 raffle. This great time is a fundraiser for Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Get that grill cream and head out to the Joliet Moose Lodge at 25 Springfield Avenue in Joliet. Saturday night, November 12th. Saturday night, November 12th at 6.30. Tickets at the door or on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. ByzantineCatholic.com. For a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Saturday night, November 12th. Welcome back to Light of the East. We're talking about the Coptic churches, both Orthodox and Catholic today, because the Coptic Christians, which are large in Egypt, are a focus of persecution today. We're talking about those churches in the East who have undergone some hardships. First of all, we opened up with the prayer on behalf of our fellow Christians and all fellow people, all fellow humanity in the modern-day country of Turkey, where they experienced an earthquake. And it was significant because around the same time on the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, there is a great earthquake commemorated that happened in the year 740 AD. So there's kind of a providential interesting coincidence about this tragedy, but it's something that the people of faith took as a sign from God. And so that drew them to repentance and to prayer. And that's how we open our program today. But we look at the Oriental Orthodox churches, in particular the Coptic Orthodox Church and Coptic Catholic churches. And they're called Oriental Orthodox churches because, again, they did not accept the Council of Chalcedon. However, today it's widely recognized by theologians on both sides, both the Catholic and the Oriental Orthodox churches, that the Christological differences between these churches, either who accepted Chalcedon or who rejected it, are, are largely verbal. And that, in fact, both parties profess the same faith in Christ, but using different formulas. See, oftentimes the differences, and unfortunately this is, these differences went on for centuries, but it's only now that we're able to say, you know, maybe it's just the way you understood these words or how you're saying these words, or maybe not using the exact same words, but you mean the same thing. We finally come to that in some of the ecumenical dialogues, and especially in this area between the Oriental Orthodox churches and the other Orthodox churches and Catholic churches. So that's a very good step towards progress. But the Coptic Church, the Coptic Orthodox Church, was often referred to as one of the these Oriental Orthodox churches, or previously Monophysite Church, but that was actually, actually kind of erroneous. But anyway, that's how they referred to it, because they didn't accept Chalcedon. The Coptic Orthodox Church was founded largely by St. Mark, according to their history, and he was martyred in Alexandria in 63 AD. So St. Mark came and Christianized the people of what we know today as modern-day Egypt, and he was martyred in 63 AD. And eventually Egypt became a Christian nation, and Alexandria became an extremely important center of theological reflection. You may have heard of the Alexandrian fathers or the Antiochian fathers. These are huge cities, hugely significant cities that are almost nothing today, at least in terms of their, their Christianity. But historically, they were powerhouses. Furthermore, monks in the Egyptian desert provide the first models for the Christian monastic tradition, having been nourished by the spiritual insights of the early desert fathers. Now, the Coptic Orthodox Church actually gets its name Coptic from the Arabic and Greek word for Egyptian. And this church emerged out of basically, once again, a story of persecution. As they didn't accept the Council of Chalcedon, the Byzantines, the others that did, such as the Byzantines, persecuted them. And so eventually a separate church emerged. In the 5th and 9th centuries, the Greek patriarchs lived in the city of Alexandria, while the Coptic patriarchs then separated and resided in the desert monastery of St. Macarius. Now, after the Arabs invaded in the 7th century, the Coptic slowly diminished in numbers, and the Arabic replaced Coptic as the official language of the country in the 8th century. Then Islamic rule was marked by long periods of persecution, but also by periods of relative freedom, during which the church flourished again and produced outstanding theological and spiritual works 
in Arabic. I happen to have the privilege of, well, my parents, the house I grew up in, they still live there, praise God. They live down the street from a Coptic Orthodox church, St. Mark's. Well, many churches are named St. Mark because St. Mark, of course, has brought Christianity to the Coptic people, the Egyptian people. And St. Mark's Church, and this is in Seven Hills on Pleasant Valley Road, actually had two miraculously weeping icons. I saw it myself. I saw the ointment coming from the myrrh, coming from these icons. It's an amazing thing. You have these flat icons, icons painted on wood. I mean, the wood is only so thick, just paint on wood. And you have this constant, effusively flowing ointment, fragrant ointment that comes from them that you just can't explain in any way. Sometimes icons will cry. In other words, the ointment will come from the, the eyes. They're called tears. And sometimes it's just that we call it the myrrh that's being secreted. In other words, the whole icon becomes like wet. And it's enough that we actually can dry it up. And with they used to take cotton swabs and so on like that and fill it with jars and so on. Imagine it coming from this flat piece of wood. And you can't explain it except from something very, very miraculous. So down the street from my own home, my own parents' home, is an Egyptian Coptic Orthodox church with two miraculously weeping icons, one of Jesus and one of Mary. They're on the icon screen. Now, the Copts are the largest Christian community in the Middle East and are still a significant minority in Egypt. In fact, in Egypt, about 10 million of the 80 million people in Egypt are actually Christian. Most of them are Coptics. The Coptic Orthodox liturgy grew from the original Greek rite of Alexandria, developing by the 4th century, its own native characteristics. The Coptic liturgy grew from the original Greek rite of Alexandria, developing by the 4th century, its own native characteristics. And this process took place mainly in the monasteries. See, the Coptic Orthodox Church is a, it's a very monastically based church. Well, of course, monasticism developed in the deserts of Egypt, which is, once again, ironic today because as I'm following the persecution of Christians in that region of the world, we learn that some of the the agitators, you know, the, the terrorists and so on like that, are taking up residence in the deserts of Egypt. How ironic that in those deserts, those deserts were sanctified by the, the tears and the sacrifice, the penance, the holiness of so many great monks like St. Amphia of the desert. And here now, it's there being, in a sense, desacralized with the presence of, of killers, of terrorists, of people who are up to no good. And hopefully, once again, the holiness of the desert area will dominate. Now, in Egypt, the Coptic Orthodox Church, of course, has its center and has what they call a pope. That's right, Pope Shenouda III. And the Coptic Orthodox Church is also in a diaspora, such as Europe, Africa, Australia, and of course, in, in America, such as, as I mentioned, the church that's near my own parents' home. The Pope resides in Cairo, Egypt, and the membership is about 4 million Coptic Orthodox Christians. And again, they're very faithful people. They're suffering terribly. And whenever they come to America, they do very well here. They sort of merge into our culture at the same time preserving their ethnic and spiritual heritage very nicely. They're really quite an impressive people, I have to admit. I happen to know the pastor from the church, St. Mark's, which is near my parents' home, and very, very nice, wonderful, holy man. His name is Father Mikhail Mikhail. It seems like in the Middle East, especially in the Egyptians, they tend to do what we would call uh, two first names. <laughs> Mikhail, of course, is translated as Michael for us, so it's Father Mikhail Mikhail. I mentioned also there are Coptic Catholic churches. Now, what happened here was, first of all, it starts back in the 15th century with the accounts of Florence. And as you might know if you listen to this program for some time, there were several attempts at reunion between the Orthodox and the Catholic churches, and one of those attempts was the Council of Florence, which was in the 15th century. And while the people at the council, some of the theologians and bishops and clergy, agreed to a reunion, basically it didn't really stick. I guess it had too many flaws in it. Maybe they were rushing it a bit. Apparently it wasn't quite genuine enough, and it, and it failed. But that was definitely one of the first attempts. 
and one of the first foundations that led to eventually a Coptic Catholic church that grew out of a Catholic Orthodox church. But what happened that really produced what we know as the Coptic Catholic church happened from missionaries in the 17th century who were led by Franciscans. And a Capuchin mission was founded in Cairo in 1630, and in 1675, the Jesuits began missionizing activity in Egypt. During the same century, a number of lengthy but fruitless theological exchanges took place between Rome and the Coptic Church. And in 1741, a Coptic bishop in Jerusalem, Amba Athanasius, became a Catholic, and Pope Benedict XIV appointed him vicar apostolic of the small community of Egyptian Coptic Catholics, which at that time numbered no more than 2,000. Now, although Athanasius eventually returned to the Coptic Orthodox Church, a line of Catholic vicars apostolic continued after him. Now, the Catholic Coptic Church is much smaller than the Coptic Orthodox Church. In fact, there's about 344,000 of them. The head of the Coptic Catholic Church is in Beirut, Lebanon, and the Coptic Catholic Churches can be found also in Syria, Iraq, Turkey, Egypt, and Iran, and other areas around the world as a diaspora. But those are the main areas, Syria, Iraq, Turkey, Egypt, and Iran. So as always, we try to put a great eastern ocean into a thimble in our program here, Light of the East. But this is at least a little bit of an introduction into the Coptic churches, both Orthodox and Catholic, who are undergoing great persecution today. And so our prayers are with them as they are with all suffering Christians, particularly in the Middle East. I want to thank you for listening. Please pray for our suffering brethren in the Middle East, especially in the areas such as Iraq and Egypt. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>